Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Flagship Podcast. Horns 24-7. I mean, listen, I'm here with Taylor Estes, managing editor of Horns 24-7. And uh, we were just talking about some of the reviews and five-star ratings we've been getting over at uh, iTunes for the Flagship Podcast. Taylor, I'm, I'm feeling good about things. I'm feeling good about the direction of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we wouldn't be able to do what we do without our listeners. So we really appreciate, um, you know, everybody going to iTunes, subscribing to the channel. And while you're there, go ahead and feel free to give us a five-star rating and review. We actually had two come in recently, Chip, and I wanted to give these guys a shout out for leaving a review for us. But one came in from Grant Ramey, said, great podcast covering all things Texas football. So thank you for that, Grant. And Thanks, then Grant. Another- yeah, another one from Patrick B. 1688. This is a must listen for Texas fans. Love all the guests they've had on lately, too. Those exclusive interviews are really strong. So we really appreciate those. And um, if you listen to our all, any of our Horns 24-7 podcasts over um, on iTunes, you know, feel free to give a review for all, for all of them. But we definitely appreciate the support. And uh, we have a really good show coming up for you this week. Uh, Chip, you want to talk about the special guest who is a legend in Texas Longhorn history in the NFL? Absolutely. I mean, we're following up our interviews with Tom Herman, Chris Del Conte, Vic Schaefer, uh, with Eric Metcalf. I mean, this guy was electricity. I think he needs to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he's the first ever, first ever NFL player. Uh, to post 10 punt returns for touchdowns and his records stood for uh, 20 years until Devin Hester came along. Uh, But Eric Metcalf, he did it all. I mean, he ran the ball, he caught the ball, he returned. Uh, He ended up with 13 returns, 10 punt returns for touchdowns, three kick returns for touchdowns, had a game with two returns in it against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he's a legend with the Cleveland Browns. He still flies to Cleveland for home games and does pre and post game television in Cleveland because of what a stud he was um, after he finished up his football career at Texas in 1988 and then went into the NFL and uh, had uh, some great years there with Cleveland. And of course, it was Bill Belichick who who said, hey, we got to get this Eric Metcalf guy totally into the return game, and his uh, his career took off from there in the NFL and played 13 years. I mean, that's unbelievable for a, a guy who carries the ball that much to last that long. So, And, of course, two-time, two-time NCAA outdoor long jump champion at Texas. An all-purpose athlete that they have there. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't play at the best time at Texas, though, for Texas football, right? That's right. He was there at the end of the Acres era. I said '85, so he got there right after that great season in '84, and was in you know some tough. I think he said he won 24 games mm-hmm. in his time at Texas in four years. That's that's not good. No. So, but the guy is, uh, I mean, he's unbelievably positive. He loves Texas. He's, he, you know, you'll see, you'll see, you'll love, you'll love the, uh, 
you'll love the interview with Eric Metcalf and uh, and Taylor. We we always start off the flagship podcast with a little with a little Texas talk, and so today in our Texas morning brew, uh, sort of our our morning uh, coffee, if you will, I call it Longhorn Java with uh, with an insider nugget served alongside. But I opened it up with what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of Sam Ellinger? Hmm. So I'm posing that question to you. Okay. Honestly, my first one is alpha. I know that sounds weird, but you know, I've, I have a, I've known Sam Ellinger for quite a while, even before he got to Texas. Cause I was covering recruiting a lot closer back when he was a recruit and he's just one of those guys that people follow and they even followed him. You know, I, I saw him at the Nike opening, um, in when was, I guess it would have been in July or August of 2016, um, leading up to his senior year. And, you know, he wasn't a five-star quarterback there. He wasn't, you know, the big name guy, but people followed him. And when I think of Sam Ellinger, I think of his alpha dog leadership. And I think that's what really sets him apart from, some of the talented quarterbacks that have come through Texas since Colt McCoy has been there. Because I think, Chip, we can agree, Texas hasn't had some scrub quarterbacks. They just haven't had the guys that were complete quarterbacks and leaders. I mean, David Ash was a really talented quarterback, but you couldn't get two words out of him. I mean, he backed away from people when he was interviewed. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember, I can't tell you how many times there was interviews that we had with him. He starts at one part of the room and all of a sudden he's like back against the wall because he's backing up. That's not the leader that you want leading the team. The person that touches the football every single play needs to be the one that's in your face, that people want to not just, you know, lead by example, but also lead vocally. And I think that's what Sam Ellinger is. But what, what, yeah. what's yours? Warrior. Yeah. Warrior. Just whatever it takes to win. You know, I was thinking about this. Think back to his freshman year when he went to USC in, in his first start. Yeah. And he led the go-ahead touchdown drive with 45 seconds left in the game after completing two fourth-down passes, a fourth-down pass to Colin Johnson to extend the drive, and then a fourth-down touchdown pass to Armonte Foreman to give Texas a three-point lead with 45 seconds left. That should have held up. Mm -hmm. And that would have been his first win as a starting quarterback at Texas at USC in the Coliseum with Sam Darnold at quarterback for the Trojans. Right. And that was a good USC team too. It was a good USC team had Ronald Jones on it. He's now in the NFL and instead the Texas defense played prevent and didn't prevent anything. USC came down, kicked the tying field goal, went into overtime and then Ellinger gets blamed for the loss because he fumbled. Right. So it's amazing how thin the margin for error can be for these quarterbacks from being a legend right out of the chute, kind of like James Brown. His first start at Texas was the 1994 Red River shootout, and he won it. And he was, it, it helped build his iconic status as a, as a winner, as a guy who ended up winning uh, conference championships and won that uh, memorable 1996 Big 12 title game when he told me, I think we can beat Nebraska by three touchdowns. And 
and Ellinger, you know, he's had some rough moments. It's interesting because people, you know, he was a Heisman, a leading Heisman candidate last year coming off of the 10 win season in the, in the really talk about warrior performance in the sugar bowl against Georgia, where he's carrying it over and over again in the red zone and just taking a pounding, but he gets it into the end zone. They win the game. And he was a leading candidate for the Heisman this year. Like 24 seven sports has him like fifth out of 11. Mm -hmm. And I think Spencer Rattler from OU is even ahead of him. And that's purely on the reputation of Lincoln Riley. But think about it. The, the image that everyone saw of Ellinger, he outplayed Joe Burrow. He had four touchdown passes, no interceptions. Burrow had four touchdown passes, one interception. And they both threw for over 400 yards in that game. But then the Red River shootout, the image was him getting sacked nine times. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, Heisman voters are like, I'm not giving the vote to a guy who got sacked nine times in one right. game. Even though that may not have all been his fault. Oh, no. I mean, so, there's, there's a line in front of him, correct? <laughs> right, right. But, and then they, the offense struggled down the stretch. Obviously, they had a 10-point lead in the third quarter against TCU. They lost. He threw three interceptions in that game. I don't blame him for that game. I thought the offensive game plan, the final half of the season, was Atrocious. it did not develop. The Atrocious. offense did not develop. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I, it, it's an interesting conversation and and Ellinger with Mike Yersich I think is poised for sort of a you know I don't want to say Joe Burrow type of splash because no one can do what he did I mean 60 touchdown passes 5,000 yards passing 70 I mean almost broke Colts record 76 percent completion rate he had 3,000 yard receivers one with 20 touchdown catches, one with 18 touchdown catches, one with 13. I mean, it was insane what he did last year. But I think Yersich is, is confident enough, and I've reported this in the eyes, that Yersich has told Sam, I want to do for you what Joe, you know, Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow. So um, we'll see. It's exciting. Right. Well, right now, play. yeah. Well, right now, Sam Ellinger is the latest odds as of the beginning of May has him at 25 to 1. Heisman odds, um, as according to Vegas. So he's tied for seventh. Okay. And ahead of him is Clemson running back Travis Etienne with 16 to 1 odds. Um, then it's uh, Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman. And uh, then following that is De'Eric King, quarterback for Miami, used to be at Houston, transferred to Miami. Then it's number three, Spencer Rattler, 12 to 1 odds, quarterback Oklahoma, who has yet to start a game. And he is well ahead of Sam Ellinger. Then Trevor Lawrence, quarterback Clemson, 9 to 2 odds. And the leading candidate right now is Ohio State quarterback Justin Field with 7 to 4 Heisman odds. So, I, I mean, where was Joe Burrow in the Heisman? Oh, no last, Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even listed, you know. So, I, I mean, I think, I think Sam, assuming that the offensive game plan, the, you know, Tom Herman allows the coaches that he hired to run the offense actually are able to run the offense. And he's not micromanaging every single one of their steps and, you know, forcing his deal on him. If, if Tom lets these coaches do what he hired them to do, 
then there's no reason that Sam Ellinger shouldn't have at least an invite to New York for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down. Yeah. Um, well, those of you who listen to the flagship podcast on a regular basis know that we will, we will play some love it or leave it. Um, after we get to our, our marquee interview here with Eric Metcalf. Yeah. And we have some good love it or leave it topics for that. So, um, but we're going to save that for after Eric Metcalf. Chip, you ready to bring him on? Let's do it. All right. Let's go to the phone line and bring in former Texas uh, athlete and track star, Eric Metcalf. Joined now on the flagship podcast by one of the all-time greats. We're trying to make a push for him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, You know him. You love him, Longhorns fans. The one and only Eric Metcalf. Eric, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. How about you? Uh, Doing great. Welcome to the uh, Horns 24-7 flagship podcast. You know, we reach thousands of uh, Longhorn Nation, and I know they're excited to uh, to hear your voice, my friend. Um, you are up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, for those who, you know, are maybe a little younger generation, Eric <laughs> uh, one of the greatest return men in the history of pro football, uh, and not bad while he was at Texas. I mean, he's in the top five in every, you know, uh, pump return category uh for career yards so um you know that's uh it's an exciting time but you're also an incredible track athlete and you're working with nike is that right i do do some consulting with nike track and field um uh which allows me to go fly around the country and and look at high school kids who uh, like potentially could have run the High school 100 meters at Prefontaine this year. Obviously, it's not happening, but that's what I just so have to scout those guys out, um, as well as just uh, just check in on uh, some athletes around the country just to see what's going on. Make sure All right, so let me let me let me let me break this down for the people. Eric Metcalf <laughs> is is determining who's getting the next shoe deal. <laughs> do we need to back this guy? Do we need, do we need to throw our our Nike stripe on this up and comer. I, I don't, I don't get to de- decide who is going to be. But you're turning in Nike. your report. But but high school kids who might, I, I get to go find them and see what they're doing around the country and uh, with hopes of them being at the at the hey, big meet of the year. Because real recognize real, right? Great recognize great. So if Eric Metcalf so. is out there checking it out. And he gives you the uh, seal of approval, although he's probably like that, you know, private grocery shopper. You don't know he's there, but he's going to turn in that report. And if you had, uh, you had the goods, he's going to tell the the big brass, Phil Knighted at Nike. <laughs> Phil Knighted. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure you got him on speed dial. You know, I mean, come on. I wish. <laughs> All right, so so we're talking to Eric Metcalf, and Eric, um, I remember you because uh, I was in school. About the same time you were, uh, I was at SMU. You were uh, getting it done at Texas, and and so take us through your decision because uh, this was interesting. Your your dad is of course the great Terry Metcalf, and uh, and so you were moving around. But I think you said you were in high school in the Washington D.C. area. Yeah. And so, so tell you, us 
Yeah. Tell so us you want to know my, my, my recruiting as far as going text. Okay. So oh, yeah, all of it, all the, yes. <laughs> all the good stuff. You know? All the good stuff. I, I don't know if I can make it too good. But I will, I will say I, um, I, I visited Texas, Nebraska, Georgia, Miami, and Notre Dame. Those, those are schools I, I visited. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking I wanted to go to, to a big school, big school and play football. But, but I still had in the back of my mind that track was a factor. And so it, it, that, that really mattered to me, even though some of those schools, when you hear their names, you don't, you don't think track and field. Um, I, I took a few visits. I, I visited Miami and two hours into that trip, I committed. <laughs> I was oh. 17 years old, and I'm like, I'm coming to the U. This is the place for me. I don't care if they don't really have a track team. I'm gonna. Who, who was there. your host? Do you remember who your host was? It was Alonzo Highsmith and Melvin Bratton. Uh, they, Only they, the Godfathers. They they sent the big guys on me because uh, oh, yeah. Alonzo Highsmith always told tells me that Jimmy Johnson said um, they had to do whatever they could to get me because if they if they got me. They were for sure win national championships, and um, I, I didn't go. Obviously, they ended up winning them anyway. And so, but I, but I committed e immediately. Um, my parents. My, I mean, like before my, the first night out on the town, or uh, like two hours into two hours into the visit. Okay, two hours into the visit. It must have I, taken you by the pool or something. This took me out to dinner. Yeah, right. Showed you, the <laughs> Showed you the campus. Right. Gotcha. And so, and so, yeah. I, I, my parents didn't didn't want me to go. They always wanted me to go to Notre Dame because I'd been going to Catholic school my entire life. Um, I, I I didn't want to do that anymore. I, I felt like I would have to go wear a uniform every day at school again for the yeah. No more some, nuns. No more rulers. No, no, none of that. And so and so, you know, I going to Miami. I'm I'm, I'm going to Miami. They weren't having it. They wanted me to go to Notre Dame. I, I didn't actually tell uh, Miami uh, that I wasn't coming until actual signing day because I was still trying to convince my parents that that was the place for me. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm 17 years old. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have had the recruiting trip in my life. I'm, I'm going. And so, so I, I tell Miami that on signing day that I'm not, that I'm not coming after Jimmy Johnson left a coach up in uh, Virginia for for the week prior to just so no other coaches would come from other schools and bother me wow and 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 uh and he left his coach up there and so i, I had to tell him and so I, I then basically opened up recruiting again uh i called texas because i knew i i liked it when i was down there and and then they had they had good track and that, that would become a factor again <laughs> yeah so, i mean and so then uh so like i believe eight days later uh, I signed with Texas after Coach Akers flew back up to see me. You're an NCAA champion in the long jump. And, and so track was obviously twice, uh, twice, right? Twice. I mean, big time. <laughs> so we could talk about the football not being where it should have been or could have been because you, you got there the tail end of Akers into the beginning of McWilliams. It was not a great run for the Texas football program, but you were a two time national champion in track. I mean, you walked out of Texas with hardware. I mean, talk about the experience. I mean, you're a football player because I'm trying to get you into the Pro Football Hall of Fame 
This man had 10 punt returns for touchdowns in the NFL before any other man um, and is in rare air. Uh, 13 returns total, three kick returns for touchdowns in the NFL. We'll get to that. But at, at Texas, I mean, two-time national champion in, in long jump, where did that rank in terms of your athletic experience at Texas? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought I could win four national titles outdoor. I never thought I could win indoor national titles because it, it was right after football season and I wasn't going to go straight from football into a uh, track. I was going to take a break and everybody would be up on me. But I, I thought I could win four national titles. And, and so um, I only did track three years because I didn't meet my goal of winning. I, I would have had to win three to try to go for four. And so my, my, my sophomore year, the one I did my, one up my freshman year and my junior year, my sophomore year, I got third. Um, what happened your sophomore year? Well, I, in my mind, I actually won. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a good story in here somewhere. Yeah. I mean, like I like know you I were said, probably the best in the field. I, I told everyone, and I had, I had been hurt that year, and I told everyone I was going to win four straight. And so I get, we're in the finals, uh, and I'm jumping. And I go into the finals, and I'm third. On the first jump of the finals, I take the lead. And I'm leading all the way through my, my sixth jump. And I'm done. I'm putting on my clothes, and I'm winning. And two guys passed me on their last jump. It went Bob Beeman on you? And there was nothing I could do. And they so, just hit the board. They hit it all magical, and that was it. They, two guys from uh, Texas Southern University, and, they, and wow. they got me. And so right at that very moment, I knew I would not jump in my senior year. But I knew I had to come back my junior year and, and win it again because I go out on top. And so, that, you know, that was, that was, it was a fun time. And I loved, you know, Stan Huntsman was our head coach. Wayne Pate was my long jump coach. And we had a great time and, and, and great athletes on the team. So uh, we, we had fun because we got uh, second twice as a team at NCs and third once in my three years. So we, we, were, we were in the running. Hey, podium finishes at the NCAA track meet as a team is a huge accomplishment because to have enough good events and usually got to have a relay in there, that's impressive. That's impressive. Um, so the high of football, because here's the interesting thing. I'm looking through the records, and you, you're all over the place in punt returns, but not kick returns. And in the NFL, you had kick returns for touchdowns. So how did they – divide up or did you not want to do kick returns how do they how do they figure that out you did go figure i really didn't want to do punt returns <laughs> not even not in college or in the pros I, I i wanted to only do kickoff returns but um uh, in, in, why in is college, that because i was kind of nervous back there you know i thought you know if i knew then what I know now about it, I wouldn't think that. But, you know, that, all, I, all, all I think about is the same thing that everyone else thinks about. The ball's hanging up there. Guys are running down the field full speed at you, and they're going to take you out. But then as you get older, you start to understand that all these things are true. But you don't have to catch the ball, and your team still gets it. You can fair catch it. They can't hit you. And if they mess up the punt, and line drive it, you run it back down their throat. And so that became fun to me because I can determine whether or not 
I get hit, <laughs> really. And so, you know, just just at Texas when I when I was there, I they I had they had me on kickoff return, but they never kicked to me. So they had me. So I ended up becoming a blocker. Gotcha. So it was like so it was like a waste of time. And that's the same thing in, in Cleveland in the NFL for the most part because teams would try to treat me as a blocker and, and not give me the ball. And so gradually uh, got away from me being a, a kick returner at, at Texas and, and, and more of a punt returner. Um, I, I had a couple touchdowns, but not, not many. Um, I finally get, I think, I think maybe only one. And then I finally get to, uh, I get to Cleveland and I'm the kick returner because Gerald McNeil was there to ice cube. Ice and cube. He's, and he's been a, a pro bowl punt returner and he, and he's still there. And so, I was returning kicks. I didn't start returning punts until he left and Bill Belichick came. And then that's when uh, he put me over to, to, to the punt return. So Bill Belichick, once again, brilliant. Took him five minutes to realize I need Eric Metcalf on punt returns. What was your experience with, with Belichick? Like how, how quickly did he put you in that role? Well, that was one of the first things he did because he knew that uh, when, he, when he got there that I was complaining about how I wasn't getting the ball and, and you know, him, him coming from the giants, the chances were I wasn't going to get the ball like I wanted <laughs> in that offense either. And so he, he always said to me, if you, if you want to go to the pro bowl, uh, you got to help us win games. You obviously got to have the ball and we're going to put you in punt return. And that's going to give you probably five more times to have the ball a game. And so he's thinking, you know, to get me close to 18, 20 through runs, receptions, and punt returns, that, that was the way to do it. Well, and you were electric. I mean, you seem to maximize every opportunity because, you know, 10 punt returns for touchdowns. Before Devin Hester, there was Eric Metcalf, the first man ever to have double-digit punt returns for touchdowns. And, I mean, it was – I mean, your average – Touchdown in your career, I think, is in your NFL career is 36.3 yards. I mean, and you're running it, you're catching it, and returning it. So, I mean, every touchdown you had was Sports Center top 10. <laughs> and they're all, you know, these dramatic, long, impressive, you know, game winning. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we were joking because I talked to you before about Cleveland and and you're like I told my family y'all don't have to like me I'll go to Cleveland where they love me <laughs> and you're doing pre and post game for Cleveland Browns games on on home games uh for TV and when you walk around in Cleveland everybody's like Eric I mean take us through it what's it like for you on game days at you know around Browns games Oh, it, it actually takes someone else to tell the story because I don't like talking like that. But, you know, I know, but, I know. But, but still, I mean, it, we know it, Cleveland has long memories of good times in sports because there haven't been a ton of them. It's it's but, a, it's a it's a fun time, you know. Uh, when I'm when I'm at the games, uh, walking around, usually it's me and Kevin Mack walking around uh, doing things, going to parents' different suites and things like that. But everybody's yelling. You got any plays left in you? Uh, we need you out there right now. You guys are the good old days, things like that. So I mean, it's a it's a fun feeling. So that because I mean, when it's all said and done, 
you, you play the game, you want to be remembered. At least I do. I want to be remembered. And, and obviously, I want to be remembered for something good that I did. And so for the, the way the Browns fans uh, feel about me, uh, even though I only played there for six years, it, it, it's special because I know that the time I was there, I, I left an imprint. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's uh, so you go back and, and do the games and hadn't been a lot of winning. So, I mean, that, that makes Browns, friend, Browns fans appreciate you even more. Exactly. You know, remember exactly. that's when we won. That's when yeah, we won. It, you hear that a lot. But what, but, uh, you know, what do you enjoy most about that? What do you enjoy most about doing the, the commentary? I, I, I just like being a part of it. I, I feel like even though I've been gone, I was gone for a certain period of time that I, it still keeps me connected with the, with the organization and, and things that are going on in Cleveland and, and, and the fans for sure, because fans always talk about, they watch me on TV and, and I, and I'm pretty sure 1 million people were at that game against Pittsburgh by now. Cause every time I go somewhere, people talk about how they were there for the two pump return game. And, and so we're about at 1 million right now when, when the stadium only seated 70 something, cause everybody was there and everybody enjoys that moment. And, and, and I, and I love that, but you know, it's not even my favorite moment as a Cleveland Brown and, but it's everyone else's because so it almost has to be mine because that's what everyone talks about two punt returns against the the Pittsburgh Steelers and so you know I, but and that had playoff again, implications didn't it no that year we didn't make the playoffs but okay. at, that, at, at that very at, during that week uh it was for a division lead okay and so we 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 ended up winning and we took the division lead we were five and two and then ended up seven and nine well, well, yeah, we had we you, had changes. <laughs> when you look, I mean, uh, it's interesting because Andre Coleman, who's the receivers coach now at Texas, mm -hmm. as a rookie, had a had the longest kick return in Super Bowl history for the Chargers. They lost the game, but he had a ninety-eight yard kick return for a, for a touchdown. Do you ever, you know, find yourself sizing up the return guys around the league? I mean, Christian McCaffrey, we talked to you about this the other day. Christian McCaffrey just broke the bank, $64 million. And, I mean, if you were playing now, that'd be you. You'd be getting the $64 million. Sorry to, you know, bring that up. Probably doesn't uh, hit you like a, a cold washcloth in the face. But, um, I mean – it, it's good to see those guys who return get some love, right? It is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of guys who can do everything. And so when, when someone like Chris McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cooks, those guys who do everything, get, get their money and get the notoriety that they deserve, I'm all for it because I, when I think about it, these are guys, these are real football players. Because when I think of a real football player, I say, like, I would ask a person, who's the greatest football player in the NFL? Just being hypothetical, and you'd say whoever. And then I'd say, well, what other position could they play? Because to me, that's what a football player is. A football player is somebody who could be on the field no matter what. 
Right. And so when and so when you have these running backs who are able to do everything, I, I really appreciate those guys, and I and I, I'm happy that they get like all their fame, their money, and all that, the Pro Bowls and all that. Because I mean, even though it wasn't the same when I played, I know that this is how I played, and so I, I feel good about it for them. Well, you told me, and we're it's it had to have been amazing while your your parents had you when they were young. You remember your dad playing in the NFL, Terry Metcalf, who was an unbelievable all-around player, just like yourself. And, and so you told me that that's the guy you wanted to be. And you both had these amazing careers in the NFL. In fact, you outdid him. So how did the conversations advance at the Thanksgiving table as young Eric Metcalf is starting to approach all of dad's marks in the NFL. No, I don't, we don't ever really talk about it. And we never have never, ever. I mean, when I was younger, my, my dad knew that I wanted to play football just because I, that's what I did. And I, and I would always bring him in for uh, show and tell and what have you, because I wanted to be like him. You know, other kids you brought, brought him in for show and tell. Like other kids are bringing toys. in rocks. You're bringing right. in, an NFL pro bowler. Right. And, and, and not only that, I need you to bring your, your, your team's highlight film with you. <laughs> <laughs> so they're getting double. Yeah. Everyone, everyone gets a video of so, it's like Oprah, you get a video. Right, you get a video. Right. And so, you know, we, we never really talked about it. And, 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 it, and my dad didn't tell me till like, later than I was actually in the NFL that he always knew that I was going to go in the NFL. He just didn't want to tell me. He knew I was I was that good, and so. Um, so he didn't tell you. He, he didn't tell me. He when, never okay, how does it. that go? Because I was gonna say, when did your dad know you were special? He. So when when do you think he knew, and then held it in? Oh, he said he knew in high school, for sure. He said he knew in high school for sure that I that I was going, but you know. Things happen. You, we don't really, we don't really talk to him. My dad always used to say is that he didn't want to live through me, like he's seen other fathers try to live through their sons who didn't actually make make it. And so he just wanted to let me uh, pick and choose and, and and do it my way. And I mean, and of course, if they would have if would have gone the wrong way, he would have he would have tried to steer me back to the right way. But right, <laughs> right. But, but but it didn't. And he uh, so he just let me do my thing, and, and it seemed to work out. Now, are, does your dad live up in Seattle, too, where you are? Yes, yeah, born and raised in Seattle as well. So, so yeah, he lives not far from me, uh, yeah. So, y'all get to see each other and grandkids. I mean, not right now. We're social right, not right. But yeah. well, we no, talk, we're talking everything, yeah. So, you love it there. I do. You could live anywhere. I mean, Cleveland. It's you could cold. live anywhere. It's cold. It's cold. <laughs> Austin, Texas. That's that's I say I tell people all the time. That's probably the place I would move to from here. But I wouldn't move just to move. If I had something, if I had something to do, I would go there. But if I'm not moving just to move, okay. You got kids in uh, in school. In in college, my in fact, in fact, today would have been. My daughter uh, would have been graduating with her master's today at in Denton, at North Texas. She's oh, wow. here, but but yeah, she she finished in North Texas, and uh, then uh, congratulations. Thank you. Then I have uh, boy girl twins who are sophomores 
uh, in college. Okay. It's 15-50 and pick them if my 17-year-old son is going to be going off to college. So I applaud every parent who <laughs> has kids who completed college. You know what I mean? Right. So, so what, uh, you know, when you think back to your time in, in Texas playing football, uh, you're 85, 88. What, uh, give me some memories that stand out the most to you of your time on the 40 acres. Obviously I remember the, the Arkansas game in 87 when Tony catches the, the touchdown to win the game. Um, I, Unfortunately, remember not beating A&M or Oklahoma. I'm probably the only class to do that. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but I still have character, some, right? It, it does. I think I won 24 games while I was at Texas. A couple of years ago, they were winning that in, in two years. Right. <laughs> right. Hey. And so, I'm, but, but, but I, I, I still had a, a great time when I was there. Uh, I loved all my teammates. I loved playing with those guys. I just wish that we'd have won more games and at least won a one Southwest Conference championship and, and gone to the Cotton Bowl instead of having to go to the, the, the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Yeah, because y'all had players. I mean, Britt well, yeah. Hicker is the all time leading tackler. You played with him. I think in that 87 Arkansas game, he had like. 27 tackles or something um yeah y'all had some players just just uh didn't quite come together but your parents were happy that you weren't at miami (laughs) oh for sure (laughs) now who was that eric who was that was that mom it was both really (laughs) it was was dad was dad was not like oh no that's okay you can go to miami my, my my dad had uh miami alumni uh, NFL former NFL players that he knew calling me telling me don't go there. He must have paid them because you know everybody wants you somebody to go to that school. Right? Oh yeah, and like you said, they won the national championship, right. just like Jimmy right. Johnson said they were gonna do. Yes, they I mean, did. Oh they man, did. and I and I couldn't. I didn't even get to win a, a conference title, which I which I wish I could have done. Well, hey, two-time national out. champion Eric Metcalf. You know what I mean. Yeah. And Pro Bowler Eric Metcalf, and hopefully, eventually, Hall of Famer Eric Metcalf. But let me let me ask you this, my man Deshaun Jameson, the return guy for Texas right now. Mm-hmm. He had a kick mm-hmm. return for a touchdown against Rice, a seventy-yard punt return in the in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. He's got a little some right. I mean, you size him up for me. Now you're the scout. You're scouting the return. <laughs> what do you like? What don't you like about? Deshaun Jamison's return game. I, I, I like the uh, the speed for sure. I like the speed for sure, and um, uh, the decision to to catch it and go. Um, I haven't seen enough where I where I would say, okay, if it gets tough back there, does he have the wiggle to make people miss and then go? Because as teams start getting better, that that's what you need if it's not blocked right. That's how you. That's how you get a touchdown. If it's not blocked perfectly, you got to make a couple people miss. And I, like I said, I haven't seen enough to, to say. Does he have that wiggle? I mean, he, does he, he does play. Eric, he that calf he, he does play tape. defense, so we don't know. <laughs> I mean, I asked you this before, but and you kind of laugh. But do you ever just watch yourself on YouTube? 
just watch these jump cuts, these returns, and be like, "Woo!" I will, I will make your honest. kids come in and watch it. I, I don't ever do that. I don't come ever on. make my kids watch. Dude, I used. I, I have recently started watching it only because I see it on Twitter so much, and so when I see so, when someone posts something, I look and I'm like, oh, "Okay," but I don't go searching for my own videos. <laughs> Like, See, oh, I that's remember the thing. this. <laughs> it's us who are not great who are always like, man, you know how great you are? But the great, the great ones are just like, no, I'm great. I just, I just walk around. I'm doing my thing, you know? I was but, told when you're, when you're great, you let other people tell you. You don't tell them. That's true. That's true. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you about it, you know? But uh, no, that's good. So, I mean, your kids, they understand the dad. I mean, I, I think it, it, it took a while. I mean, uh, are they into sports? My, my son uh, plays football at Arizona State. So, okay. So he's okay, playing for Herm. Yeah. So he's red. He just transferred this year. So, and so he set out this year. He's a red shirt freshman. So he had three more years to play. Uh, my oldest daughter, she wants to be a sports psychologist. So she didn't play sports, but she's heavily into it. And then my son's twin sister, she could care less about sports. <laughs> And so, it's like the brain in the family. <laughs> Actually, the oldest theater. man is, but she, she, she's into uh, fashion. And okay. so, yeah. so, so, you're, so you're close. Um, yeah. I, I, and so they were, they, I was at the tail end. They went, I, I think I played one year when the twins were born. And then my oldest daughter saw me play what, four years, four years or so. So they, they don't really they didn't really get to see me. They could hear people talk about me. And then I think I used to always tell them that they thought I was a scrub and they got tired of me saying that because at each banquet that we went to, say the Browns legends or the, or the Southwest conference uh, or Texas state hall of fame, things like that. Then, then they, they really understood that, Hey, maybe, maybe he was okay. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> right. I mean, I've been on the radio 15 years in Austin. I, th- I don't think my kids have ever listened to me once. <laughs> I, I know when my kids were young and, and we'd ride around uh, to wherever we go and people would honk at me or wave. They used to always ask me, why is everyone waving at you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know, kids. Look, I, Big I Ben. Tell them, I used to tell them a hood figure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so your son, what position does he play? Rare Arizona State. Receiver. Receiver. Yeah, he's he's six four. He's he's six four and a half actually, and so it, it'll it'll be good for him. Like he he went to Montana State his his first year. He redshirted. Um, then he obviously transferred and he had to sit out this this past year. And so hopefully when they get back, he'll be able to play. But he's he's still only nineteen. He doesn't turn twenty uh, until the end of August, and so he'll be turning twenty going into his junior year really. Six four and a half. How tall are you? Five ten. Six four and a half. You I'm got height breeder. somewhere in that family. I'm a, no, my brother's six four. My my wife's dad was six four. Like her, everyone on her side is is tall. Me and her dad, her her brother, and her sister. She's just not tall. And so, um, I think he got it. Uh, he got it from both sides because my dad's five eleven, but all his brothers were over. Six one, six two, and things like that. So he, he got it. He got it good. And what? Uh, what's his name? Makai. Makai Metcalf. Yes. 
All right. I mean, so we'll see. Does he feel, the, does he feel any kind of pressure? You know, you know, I, I son of Eric, grandson of Terry. If he does, he doesn't say anything just like I didn't when I was growing up right. regarding my dad. But um, I think I think it makes it a little easier because he, he's six four and he and he's a straight receiver, whereas myself and my dad were five ten, five eleven, and so we're more running back. And so it's it's different. And and you know you can he, he knows he can be different because because of the size, of course, and, and just the fact that we did more things and so so I'm, I'm actually happy that he doesn't have to worry about being the, the all-purpose player that myself and my dad were because because of the size yeah eric the only player in nfl history with seven thousand um yards from scrimmage and seven thousand return yards so i mean rare air special and i mean you know devin hester when he was closing in on your your records, um, what what are you most proud of, Eric? Because I mean, these are these are incredible accomplishments that you've had. Well, you know, I, 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 you said you kept saying it—the first person to have double-figure punt returns. I'm, I'm most proud of that. But then when I when I think about that, no one really knows that I didn't even start returning until my my uh, third year in the NFL, and then my third year. In the NFL, I separated my shoulder, so I missed most of the season. Oh, wow. So I really didn't start returning punts until my fourth year. Wow. And so, and so if I would have had the opportunity uh, in, earlier in the career, especially when, when, when we were really good, <laughs> then there might have been more touchdowns. So most I mean, NFL careers are less than four years. You didn't start returning right. until right. after four years. And it took it Belichick. To notice five seconds to notice that yeah and so I, I i love that the fact that i can say i was the first to to do something like i mean there's all there's always games that you remember four touchdowns against the raiders uh scoring a last second touchdown against the raiders obviously the, the two punt returns against pittsburgh uh but i i think one of my favorite games is a game we lost to the oilers uh uh one year i it might have been my second second year, uh, and I think uh, I had a hundred over a hundred yards receiving, and like ninety rushing, which I should have had a hundred. And I and I and I enjoyed that game because I thought that's how it would be my whole career, and I would be one of those thousand thousand guys. Well, and here I'm sitting here again, back to the record book. So Texas has had three players with the rare double of a hundred yard rushing and a hundred yard receiving game in a career. Eric Metcalf is the only one to have done it in a single season at Texas and the other Johnny Lamb Jones. Um, so, I mean, you're still all over the record books here, my friend, um, you know, just uh, tell Chris Del Conte when you're coming to town and, I mean, people still line up to to get an autograph or whatever. I mean, it's um, it's it's always fun talking to it. Okay, so now, now don't get humble and all that. <laughs> it's, you're mad you didn't beat OU or A and M while you were at Texas, but what was the game that you look back on and say, you know what, that was a special day, whether you were in the zone or 
whatever the team what uh give me a game i think it was my uh my junior year we played tcu and i i can't remember the score but we, we were in austin we won the game and i had uh 30 something carries for 200 and something yards and um I, I really remember that game because it, uh, I, we threw the ball maybe seven or eight times only. And so I, 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 I loved that game because it was one of those games where they said, okay, we're going to lean on the run, and this is how we're going to win the game. We're going to carry the ball 30-something times, and, and we did it. And, and won the game, I had, like I said, 200-plus yards and, and scored some touchdowns. And it was, it was a fun day because when you're a running back, those are the days that you want. I mean, that's that's my only two hundred yard game in in, in college, so it, it was fun time. You ever have a good conversation with Earl about how you you all did it different ways? No, because I know he he know he knows that. I mean, Earl Earl's Earl. When, yeah, when, <laughs> Earl's, Earl's Earl. When you're talking about that, in, in my mind, this the greatest football player in Texas history. I don't I mean. Regardless of winning championships and everything, it's him that events to me. But Earl Earl is is the face of Texas sports. He, I think, uh, football. I think he is why Texas football is where it is. And so, you know, when we talk, it's, it's never about that. It's just about just life and just we have we have a good friendship. And I'm and I'm glad that you know when I was there, he came with my going into my senior year. That's when he came working at the school. I was glad he was around that time because I got to talk to him about not only being in Texas, but what it's like to be in the NFL and moving forward. Well, what um, we'll we'll let you go on this, but uh, what do you what's your gut tell you about the Longhorns right now under Tom Herman and and where things are headed? I think we're heading the right direction. I mean, obviously, it, it takes time, regardless of. The players you get, and when you when you take over a program, it, it takes time uh, to establish a situation like you want it. And it, like he's had to change coaches this past year, so it still might take time. But we're getting the players that that we we were losing years ago um, to to A and M and to uh, SEC schools. So so players are starting to stay at home and stay in Austin, which which gives us a, a fighting chance. Now it's a matter of uh, the new new coaches coming in with Tom and his program, and w- along with all the new players, and and doing it in between the white lines when it counts. Yeah, yeah, they're tough. They're physical. I always say, you know, it, he's getting that culture burned in there, and and uh, and then, you know, now he's got coaches that he he when he was at Houston, they he couldn't get these guys to come to Houston. Um, right. These are high profile guys who've been at high profile jobs, so. Here he is now. He's got the the staff that he, he got to handpick at the highest level. So we'll see where it goes from here. Let's Eric, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, man. Man, we got to do this again. This is, uh, this is so much fun for me, and I appreciate uh, you taking some time for us here at Horns 24-7, the flagship podcast. And, uh, man, let us know when all this is done and you're you're back in Austin and take you to cover three or something and buy you buy you dinner and squeeze some more stories out of you we can do that appreciate you all right there he is eric metcalf and the flagship podcast rolls on
great stuff with Eric Metcalf, Chip. And, you know, I thought it was interesting to hear his take kind of on where Texas football is right now, thinking that Texas is headed in the right direction. I think, you know, I think a lot of people, whether you follow Texas football exclusively, whether you're a former player, alumni, whatever it may be, I think a lot of people kind of see that trajectory for Texas. And you and I have talked about this a number of times over, you know, the last few episodes that there's really no excuse at this point if Texas is going to actually make their return to the top of college football right now is probably the best way that or the best setup that Texas has been at least for the last decade. I agree. And I think I think Eric Metcalf, you know, the players always know and he he picks up on the culture, the tough, um, you know, the tough minded um, physical play of the Texas Longhorns. And obviously having a quarterback like Sam Ellinger, this is a this is an opportunity. Uh, we just we just need football. Please, Lord, let <laughs> us have football. Lord, please. Sorry. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, Eric Metcalf, I like that he, you know, he sees a little something in Deshaun Jameson in the return game. And, you know, he said they definitely need to be more consistent um, because that special teams and making plays on special teams has to be this mission. You know, it has to be this way of life. It, it's coaching. I mean, you have to coach it. You have to make everybody on that, you know, everyone blocking on a punt return or a kick return, believe you got a guy back there who can score for you. So take some pride in this, do what you got to do to, to free this guy. And let's get some, let's get some free points on the board here. Right. And, uh, and so that's going to be interesting because of course, Texas has a new special teams coordinator in Jay Bulware who came in from Oklahoma, but of course played at Texas. And, and so eager to see, you know, what they can do because they do have a weapon in Deshaun Jameson. Uh, he's got a kick return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown and a, and a punt return really that was one of the key plays of the game in igniting the momentum for Texas in the upset of Utah and the Alamo bowl. So Great talking to Eric Metcalf. He's such a low-key guy. I mean, he's so humble. And imagine, like I asked him, the Thanksgiving dinners, Terry Metcalf, pro bowler, my dad, pro bowler, return guy, catch it, run it, and then Eric Metcalf. And Eric superseded, he won't talk about it, but he superseded his dad's numbers. And and now we got Makai Metcalf, who we got to keep an eye on at Arizona State. So. And he's six four. Yeah. Eric's like five ten. Five ten, I think. Yeah. So I said, you you gotta have height in that family somewhere. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so that'll be fun to watch his son, Makai, six foot four receiver, Makai Metcalf at Arizona State. Yeah. All right. We promised you some love it or leave it. Taylor Estes, take it away, my friend. All right, so I'm going to go back to our talk with Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte, who joined us last week for an exclusive one-on-one interview as part of our Texas Tailgate virtual chat series with him. But Del Conte said something, and it it was not a question. It was very definitive what he said. So to start off, love it or leave it, Chip, I'm going to go with this. 
Chris Del Conte told us that he believed football will be played in the fall. Love it or leave it, the football season starts on time. Oh, I want to love this, but man, all we've known the last two months is just confinement, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't experience um, normalcy, and I, there's a lot of time between now and then, but right now I can't love this. I want to love it. I want to love it in the worst way because all all of us want uh, football. I mean, and good heavens, college athletics has to have football because it, it is the economic engine of the entire athletic department. But I, I bet we start a little later than we, than we probably think right now. That's my, that's my hunch right now, but who knows? I mean, if they come up with a vaccine or a therapeutic and people have some confidence or if they have a great social distancing seating arrangement, I mean, I don't, I've I've said this. If you just had your season ticket holders at the games, you can socially distance them. I mean, you could do that in the NBA, NFL, college football, because your season ticket holder base is usually substantially less than your capacity. Right. So at least you could have some people in the building. Um, But how about you, Taylor? I'm going to love it. Honestly, I I think that just with the, a lot of the recent conversations that, um, not just, you know, Crystal Conte, but other athletic directors across the country, there seems to be some sort of confidence in this starting on time. Now, this all could be, you know, just talk and they're trying to get fans excited and not, you know, pissed basically that the season's not going to start on time. I mean, there's no better word to say, but that's probably the best way. Um, but I, I just feel like there's been a lot of consistent, you know, conversations about this that have fallen in line with what Crystal Conte said on to us on our Texas tailgate chat with him that we ran last week as our episode of the flagship podcast. And, you know, I really do think that this could happen. Now, I'm not necessarily certain it will be in front of a 100% capacity crowd. But with the, the money that season ticket holders bring in, and I think, you know, then bring in the student aspect of it, I feel like there could be a way to salvage the season starting on time where athletic departments aren't going to be going bankrupt because they're not getting any money in from the fan attendance. So I'm, I, maybe I'm being too hopeful, but I'm going to love that one. I hope you're right. <laughs> All right. All so right. The, the next topic, Chip, we have to give a shout out to the Twitter stat master for Texas, Kyle Umling, for this tweet pointing this out. So if Sam Ellinger throws for 2,130 yards and rushes for 470 yards in his senior season, he'll become the first Power 5 quarterback to throw for 11,000 yards and rush for 2,000 yards. Love it or leave it, Ellinger reaches this milestone. You know, I absolutely love it from the passing numbers. He's definitely going to throw for 2,130 yards, barring some, you know, setback, some unforeseen setback. The rushing total is interesting because Sam Ellinger ran for 482 yards in his sophomore season. That is only eight yards more than the total we're talking about. 
And I think his rushing total is going to be closer to that this year than it than to the 663 yards he ran for last year. Now, to Sam's credit, he ran for 663 yards on one less carry than he had yeah. his sophomore year. Right. He was a much more productive runner, even though he didn't get into the end zone as much. He had 16 rushing touchdowns as a sophomore, only seven rushing touchdowns as a junior. But again, he had some long runs, some really critical third down and long runs last year. He just made stuff happen when he had to have it happen. So I'm going to love this barely. Okay. Because I do think that his rushing total is going to be closer to that 474-yard rushing total. Um, you know, I, that's not going to be – it, it shouldn't be more than – you know, I, I think his carries are going to be way down from 164 and 163 the last two seasons. I think it's going to be around like 124. So, I mean, barely, Taylor, barely. Okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love this one as well. I mean, if you look at – in his career at Texas, he has averaged around uh, almost 500 yards rushing per season. Um, if you look at the three-year average of him. Yep. So, and you know, Ellinger is one of those guys that when the game is on the line, he can put it on his shoulders and run it kind of similar to what Vince Young would do at times when he was, you know, his last season at Texas. So I'm going to love this one. I think Sam Ellinger becomes the first power five QB to throw for 11,000 yards and rush for 2000. And but I, I do agree with you when it comes to the number. I don't necessarily think he's going to have a thousand yards rushing next year. <laughs> you know, if I would say it's going to be around that 500 yard mark, um, just based off what he has done in the past. So we're we're in agreement on that one. But I don't think we are going to be on this next one, Chip. So here we go. If the college football season is pushed to start in 2021 but the recruiting calendar remains the same. Texas will still finish with a top 10 signing class for 2021. Okay, this is interesting because I do think there's a chance that the early signing period goes away this year, okay. meaning we would have all the signings in February. Now, I know that's being talked about because, because the evaluation time has been completely reduced. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, my gosh, summers and, and, um, you know, the whole spring calendar for visits gone wiped right. out. So I'm going to love this and I'm going to love it simply because of the benefit of the doubt. The fact that Tom Herman and his, um, coaching staff, now it's a new coaching staff, but they've had three top 10 recruiting classes in a row. So I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're obviously going to need to land some of the, the five-star targets on their, on their board, like, you know, the Brocker Myers. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm going to love it, Taylor. I'm going to love it because of uh, momentum and benefit of the doubt based on what we've seen the past three years. All right. I'm going to leave this one. Uh, I think that Texas needs almost a full football season to prove what they are going to be under Tom Herman. I mean, the reality is, yes, you know, not knocking anything that Texas has done in recruiting over the last several years under Tom Herman's watch. But 
the reality of the situation is Tom Herman wasn't the reason why those recruits signed. It was his assistant coaches. In 2018, Texas 24-7 Sports named former cornerbacks coach Jason Washington the recruiter, Big 12 Recruiter of the Year. 2019, 24-7 Sports named former wide receivers coach Drew Maringer Recruiter of the Year. Both of those guys are gone. And both of those guys did, well, more so, you know, Washington, because he was still around, helped sign a lot of the 2020 class. Tom Herman lost a ton of his best recruiters on that staff. And I really think that without, not saying that these other coaches that came in can't get the job done or can't, you know, meet. Say, what do you bring in, chop liver? Season. No, but, but without a football season, you're changing the entire school. The entire scheme on offense, the entire or the entire scheme on defense for sure. A lot of it on offense. If these recruits have to sign the first Wednesday of February and they've only seen maybe one or two games of Texas, I don't think they're going to land with a top ten class. And that's okay. I don't think that necessarily means that they failed. I just think that it, they won't have enough time to prove themselves. Yeah, they got a they got a muscle Mac Brown out of the way right now. I know. Seriously, Mac Brown is North- killing it at North Carolina. North Carolina has the number three recruiting class for 2021 right now. Uh, I think 14 commitments, eight of them four stars. Now, remember, Tim Brewster left, and I think he had a lot to do with some of those early commitments. He went to Florida, um, and uh, and I, he made a late pitch to try to get Zach Evans, who we learned this week is at TCU, Zach Evans. Um, the top running back in the state of Texas out of North shore had all kinds of drama to his recruitment. My goodness. But um, yeah, Tim Brewster, they couldn't get a visit, you know, because of the pandemic. So um, Zach Evans ends up at TCU. We'll see if Gary Patterson can, uh, can get the best out of Zach Evans or we'll just uh, lose patience and, and the kid will be in the portal again in no time. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the question should be over under. <laughs> over under. <laughs> How many Zach months Evans does finishing Evans his college career at TCU? How many months does he last? Or how many months? <laughs> does he make it a year? Oh, my gosh. I mean, talk about drama. Uh, I mean, that, that, I don't know if – I know that he's a really talented player, but when you have that much drama following you, unless you're like an Adrian Peterson or a – you know, Barry Sanders or some type of player. I don't think that's worth it. So good luck to him though. Best, I hope he gets his head on his on straight, but all right, Chip, one last one that I have for you uh, for this week's episode, Texas will have at least one player taken in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. Love it or leave it. Okay. I'm going to love this one. I sound like a Homer today, but um, I'm going to love this one because of my man, uh, Joseph Osai. Yeah. Joseph Osai, who, if you read the Texas Morning Brew this morning at Horns 24-7, and of course, everyone listening hopefully will become, if they're not already, an annual member at Horns247.com. And of course, you know, if you're over on iTunes, give us a five-star rating for the flagship podcast and a little review like uh, Grant and Patrick did for us. We appreciate it. But Joseph Osai in the Texas Morning Brew this morning, I quoted him, his expectation for this year's Texas defensive line, quote, chaos and destruction, end quote. And based on what we saw from him alone in the Alamo Bowl, nine tackles, six tackles for loss, three sacks, come on. 
Yeah. Joseph Osai. Joseph Osai. He's and Sam Cosme has a chance. Yeah. Has a chance. He doesn't have the long arms that some of these other offensive tackles that typically go in the first round have. He's much like Connor Williams, probably a second rounder. But Joseph Osai is my first round uh, guy for 2021. And yes, kids, that means he's coming out after his junior year. Hold on. I got I to gotta call you out for something, Chip, real quick. You mentioned chaos and uh, destruction. Well, I've heard you mention chaos in the past. Didn't you make t-shirts for Shaka Smart talking about chaos? Uh, or well, also I, for Karen Aston. How did, how did that work? How did that work out? Yeah, for we had, <laughs> we, you know, remember, remember when Shaka first got here, he, they, they wouldn't let him have havoc. Mm-hmm. The VCU was like, that's ours. It's our trademark. You can't have it. And so we were like, okay, what else can you say that sort of stirs up havoc? And so Sean Adams, God rest his soul, my former co-host uh, on the morning show on AM 1300, The Zone, and I came up with Create Chaos. And so we printed up some T-shirts. We went over to, to Schultz's. People came and picked them up. We gave them away for free. And, and then nothing really there, there was no chaos created. And those t-shirts are now being used as rags to wipe down windows. <laughs> they are now somewhere in Honduras. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to bring that part up. Yeah. Um, my bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. But I, I'm gonna, I agree with you on this. I am going to uh, love it. Hopefully, you know, Joseph Osai didn't get the kiss of death by saying the word chaos. But uh, mm-hmm. I do think that he, by all, you know, if you look at everything that he has to offer, he was playing out of position the majority of last season. You saw what he could do when he was playing in position in the Alamo Bowl. So I think if, if he can even replicate that Alamo Bowl performance, just it doesn't have to be every single game. But if he has those type of games more than once, I think during his junior season, then he will be the first, a first-round draft pick. And he would be what? That would be the first first-round draft pick Texas has had since Kenny Vaccaro. Is that the last one? I think you're right. Yeah, in a I think you're right. Let it me see been. if I can verify that real quickly. I'm pretty um, sure it would have been him, but I could. I'm. Let me see. I'm gonna look at this up. Oh, I'm sorry. No, Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown was the last. Ah, uh, yes, Malcolm Brown. When he last was taken. pick in the first round. Yep. Um, Kenny Vaccaro was 2013. Then 2014, Texas didn't have anybody. But so yeah, I mean. You know, I guess Osai could be the next defensive lineman to be that first round pick. Yep. He's got all the measurables and that's that's key. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got the NFL body, six four, long arms, great athleticism, great motor, great character. This is a guy that teams can invest in and feel good about. Yeah. I feel like Joseph Osai almost replicates a little bit more what the standard SEC defensive you know, linemen slash linebacker type of positions look like. And Texas doesn't have many of those guys on their roster. I mean, if you look at the difference in defensive players in the SEC, especially linemen compared to Texas, it's Texas has one compared to a lot of those. Well, teams, and you know? you're hoping Alfred Collins is the next. Right. You know, I mean, because mm-hmm. he's got that, he's got that frame too. Um, he's got a freakish frame for a defensive end. If he stays there and I think, I think he wants to stay there. He wants to stay at defensive end. He looks more like Reggie White 
as a defensive end and Reggie White could have played tackle. I mean, he could have right. played nose. He was so thick. But you're right. I mean, you and those are the guys I've said. Outside of quarterback, defensive linemen are the hardest position to hit on in recruiting because a difference-making defensive lineman. Yeah. Someone who can get penetration and dominate up front, guys like Casey Hampton and all the way back to – you know, Mongo McMichael and all the great tradition of Texas defensive lineman, Tony Brackens, um, Oside, he fits, he fits in that, in that group. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Osai, it's on you. You got to be the one to, there'll be what, six years of the NFL draft since Texas has had a, or this will be the sixth year. So let's end well, that streak. <laughs> and how about, I mean, this is what a great character guy he is. He was interviewed. Um, we we interviewed him in a Zoom um, press conference situation a week ago, and he went out of his way to mention two teammates: Daniel Carson, who's a defensive lineman, and Willie Tyler, who's an offensive lineman, and how those two have picked up jobs since they've been home for the pandemic to help their families. Yeah, and are working at night, but still making it to meetings, you know, in the morning and asking questions and, and, you know, good on Joseph Osai to, to go out of his way to give those guys some love because we were asking Joseph Osai about him and about the defense. And he went out of his way to say, Hey, we got some great guys on our team, like Daniel Carson and, and Willie Tyler. So I think Texas fans can feel really good about Daniel Carson and Willie Tyler and also Joseph Osai. Yeah. And those are two guys, you know, that don't get very much um, attention, not just, you know, not because they're not good or anything, just because they haven't really had their chance to prove themselves yet at the college level or at, you know, um, I guess Willie Tyler was a JUCO transfer. So at the division one college football level, but I, yeah, I thought that was really, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, he even kind of said, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but and I liked that, you know, even if they wanted to keep it private, you know, that's whatever. But those are the type of things that people can attach to those type of, oh, okay, okay, so these guys aren't just football players. They actually have a heart. They have, you know, work ethic, all of that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Well, Taylor, great stuff. Another great round of love it or leave it. And huge thanks to Eric Metcalf. Uh, wow. I mean, just Google him. If you're one of our younger listeners here at the flagship podcast, and again, get over to iTunes, uh, give us a five-star rating and a review. We greatly appreciate it. Eric Metcalf, just Google him. Just YouTube, you know, go to YouTube and watch his jump cuts and all of his, uh, incredible athleticism. Again, two-time NCAA, uh, outdoor long jump champion. And uh, an all-around great guy working for Nike up there in Seattle. Taylor, you're the best. You make this uh, you make this engine go. You are the college football of our version of college athletics around here. <laughs> uh, so thank you for making the flagship podcast happen. And uh, for for Taylor, I'm Chip Brown. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the flagship podcast. We will talk to you next week.